You joined a hot SaaS startup. Life was good. Revenues were growing and so was the valuation of the company. Then 2022 happened. Valuations took a hit. Investment dollars became hard to secure. And for the first time in forever, SaaS companies actually started laying off employees. What does all this mean, especially to all those smart folks that have founded SaaS companies? I'm Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association. Welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. Well, today we are going to hear from Phil Aves, a SaaS entrepreneur who also hosts a podcast where he interviews SaaS founders. So let's get this insight engine humming. Phil, welcome. Can you just describe your current company, which I believe is DevSquad? in your role there, just so listeners know what you're doing today. Yes, for sure. DevSquad helps business build SaaS products. So basically, that's what we do. It's a consulting firm. It's about 100 people. I'm the founder. I spend most of my time with the big vision strategy, and I'm building my own SaaS mm -hmm. product, uh, which is DevStats. And from the experience of building my own SaaS product, I bring that back to the product managers and to the people working at DevSquad so we can do a better job for our customers. But my job is more like strategy. I, I will come into meetings with our customers to help with strategy for uh, their SaaS products and the things that I see across our own customers, across the interviews that I do in my podcast, and across like building my own SaaS product. So like I, I try to bring out the experience uh, so we can advise our customers. Like at the end of the day, I like to say there's a big difference between staff augmentation and consulting. Mm -hmm. And Dev Squad is not a staff augmentation or consulting. So we are here to help our customers and, and to and to give them inputs on what we think it's the best way to build a product and and how to move forward. Fantastic. On. Well I mean I think you're gonna bring a, a really fantastic perspective in terms of what is going on with the SaaS world, specifically with these startups. But you already mentioned it. I mean, you have your own podcast, and I think the title is SaaS Origin Stories, where you interview founders and get their perspective on their mm -hmm. journey. I find it very insightful. If anybody's thinking about starting a SaaS company or their own business in general, I think it's a great podcast to listen to. But I'm just curious, you know, since we host a podcast here, what inspired you to create that podcast? So... The problem that I saw was many times when people are starting a company, they look at what companies are doing today and they try to copy it. The problem is what they're doing today is not going to work. You have to look at what they did back in the day and try to get insights because, again, the market is changing. But for sure, what they're doing today, it's not going to work for a company that's starting right now. And so the whole idea of the podcast was to interview founders about their early days and give people insights from the early days of different SaaS products. Of course, we, we all know about the big ones, but we don't know like everything that happens in the SaaS space. And, and that was the whole idea. Like, let's learn with these people what they did in the early days. I was just in a meeting before this and the customer was like, hey, we need to not have a credit card front because our competition doesn't have credit card front. And I'm like, do you know their competition when they start? They ask for the credit card up front, right? They're like, what? Yeah. Yes, they did. Because when they start, they didn't have the resources, the servers. The, there's trade-offs everywhere. But you can't look at what this big company is doing today and try to do exactly what they're yeah. doing. Because you don't have big company money. You don't have big company resources. Right. And you don't have big company brand. So, yeah. And that was the whole idea of the podcast is to get that insight of 
the difference between zero to one and one to 10 is huge. And the podcast is to like help people understand the zero to one. I mean, phase. that's fascinating. And, and I think what you're articulating there is the fact there's strong pattern recognition in that zero to one is what you're saying. In those early days, if you know what, mm-hmm. how people, you know, kind of thought about it, what they prioritized, you know, we see the same thing, what we do for a living at TSIA, you, you know, we help companies optimize their business models, but even even for large companies, sometimes they are in that zero to one phase on a certain topic, right? Like for example, they could be a large SaaS company and they never have monetized any you know, customer success. So they're at zero to one. What do I do there? And again, they can't look at a super mature SaaS company that has a massive service portfolio and say, well, let me go do what they're doing. That, that's not where they're at. So they got to back up. So that really resonates to me, your philosophy there. And I want to focus on what is going on in the SaaS world, right? Because we've witnessed this massive pivot where it's gone from, you know, hey, I got a startup, grow at any cost. And now suddenly it is, whoa, 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 you've got to actually grow more profitably. Um, you've got to be profitable. And I was just talking to you a couple of minutes ago. I heard you quip the fact that, hey, I had a profitable company before it was cool to be profitable, right? So there's this, this pivot to being, <laughs> it's cool to be profitable now. Yeah. So my first question is, do you think this is you know a short-term phenomenon based on the current economic environment? Or do you think this is a new world order for enterprise SaaS startups, right? Companies that are entering this and if you, you know, as you're coaching these founders, do they have to think about profitability much more seriously from this moment onward? What are your thoughts? Well, I hope founders learn the profitability, give them um, optionality, and the profitability allow business to stay in business and that they have to take less risks and so they don't have to lay people off and they're like always going to for the moonshots. But I do think it's temporary. Yeah. The market's going to turn around a year or two and people are going to forget all the lessons. I do believe <laughs> better business should be run profitable. Yeah. Like I said yeah. before, uh, I have been running profitable business before it was cool. But I, I believe uh, that our economy is strong and everything is going to turn around and investors are going to go back into put a bunch of money in startups. And new founders that didn't live through this is going to make the same mistakes again. You think so? I think so. I think we're going to go back. I, I kind of like in cycles because if you look at it, I feel like every couple of years being profitable gets mm-hmm. cool, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and then we go to the recession and then the recession is over and everyone forgets. So that's my opinion. I don't know how long it's going to yeah. last. This might last a little bit longer. We see all the investors telling startups like, hey, you better have 24 months run away. You have to survive for a long time. So I do think the recover might take a, a little bit of time. But I think five years from now, we're going to see people making the same mistakes because I, I don't know. I think we're not that smart as a human. <laughs> but I, so I love, that's hilarious. I love this conversation. I love this conversation because I, I agree with you. What, 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 you know, there's a pendulum and what's old is new and, and we forget, right? We forget our lessons. But let me, let me test this theory on you. I really, I really be curious because I, I'll put a couple things on the table here, right? And, and some of them are a little contrarian to, to your perspective right now. So first of all, I, I would say that we've been in this historical window that's gone on for almost 20 years where these founders, where these SaaS startups had really cheap money, you know, historically cheap money, right? And lots of investment. So very low interest rates, lots of investment dollars that you could build a lot of runway, right? Before you had to worry about profitability. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you know, like you said, how long is this going to last? I think this is going to be a, a little bit of a desert here for a while in terms of both higher interest rates, 
more cautious investment. So I'll make that comment first. But here's the second thing I want to just test your perspective. So, because I agree, I mean, dollars will loosen back up again. People will start investing, right? But what do they invest in? Because I have a hypothesis right now that if you look at just a traditional, I'll call it a traditional enterprise SaaS company, you know, solving a you know, traditional problem with traditional software capabilities, that the bloom has sort of come off that with investors. They're not very interested in that. Now, if you have something disruptive related to AI and you look at some of the valuations that are out there right now on that, I think investors are in all over that. Like they kind of feel like that's the next wave of disruption. That's where markets are going to be created. That's where there's going to be crazy growth. And so I, I feel it's it's a tale of the haves and have nots right now in terms of your value proposition or what kind of product you're building. And I'm just curious what you see there, right? This huge, you know, again, have and have nots between I'm just sort of traditional enterprise SaaS versus no, 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 I, I really am an AI story. What, what do you see in there? Yeah, it's like just to take a step back, like and, and we have to understand how investors make money. Yep. Right. And so they get early on and then usually it's through an IPO into an exit. That never happened before that we had so many public companies yeah, losing yeah. money. Yeah. Like from Zoom to like, you there's so it. many companies that went yeah. public and, and they lost money. I think Airbnb is the only one of the companies that went public in the last 10 years that's mm-hmm. profitable. And, and that's the game that VC right. plays. Unfortunately, it's the last qualified mm-hmm. investor at the end that buys this yeah. stock or that puts in the portfolio. That's the one that yeah. loses. VCs never right. lose. Right. So like the point that you were making it is like, will SaaS still be the hot thing where VCs will want to stick to make their bet? So people are going to see that as the hot thing and keep putting yeah. money in a failing product. So, well, that might change. Yeah. I, I think that might change and SaaS might move a little bit more in the boring mm-hmm. space. And a lot of those B2B SaaS companies like Atlassian and Box, and, and they're going to all figure out how to be yeah. profitable because foundationally the business model is very yes. profitable. Yeah. They're not profitable because they, they invest in a lot growth. of money. Yeah. But my point it is, I don't think the way the VC invests and the, the way the SaaS or like, sorry, Founders Act is going to change in five years from now. They're going to find a hot new thing. They're going to put a bunch of money. The people are going to grow, 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 lose money and leave that to to the final little investor that doesn't know what they're buying. And even like with index funds right now, I think there's a huge problem because index is buying a bunch of unprofitable companies and they're all going to collapse at some point. I wish there was a change in trend where like, we make it so public companies have to be profitable because, again, like who is holding this public company? Is the individual investors? Is it in four one ks of people? Those are the people that really lose. I agree. You know, so I, I don't. Maybe SaaS is not going to be the thing where the VCs is going to put money five years from now. It might be AI. I do think AI is super overhyped. Yep. It's not what people think yep. it is, and it requires a lot of money. None of them are making any money. I like to say it's just. In my opinion, is glorify autocomplete. Yeah. That's yeah. what I see AI. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, I haven't seen anything super special yeah. yet, but everyone is going that direction. So my answer to your question is kind of like all over the place. But no, no, no. Um, I, again, I, I think this is this is just a good open ended dialogue about <laughs> you know where things are going. So to sort of summarize, I think where we are in agreement. At some point, things are cyclical. We'll go back to a place where people have these unprofitable business models and, and investors are excited about them. And I agree with you. That's going to happen again. I, I do think, though, there's a whole generation of enterprise SaaS companies 
who the ship has sailed. Because I do think there are a lot of founders, there are a lot of privately held SaaS companies right now that think, oh, you know, my valuation is going to come back next year. It's going to come back in 18 months, whatever. And I think that's not true. If they're sitting on a traditional enterprise SaaS company, the focus on, hey, you got to prove it's going to be profitable. You got to have a real business here. I think that's the reality for a majority of these enterprise SaaS companies. And I don't think that's changing anytime soon. So it is going to be interesting, but I'm curious how the current environment, which is, it is what it is, right? It's more conservative. It's tighter Mm -hmm. to get funding. How has that changed the way founders think about their SaaS business? Because again, you're working with these founders, early stage, helping with strategy. How, How has it changed their mentality? What do you see there? Yeah, so so everyone is more careful right now and they're trying to figure out like path to profitability. But th- we have like two kinds of founders that we work with. We have the VC, mm-hmm. the people that raise yeah. the money, and you have the bootstrap yeah. founder. I feel like the bootstrap founder didn't change m- much for them. They're like, they always thought about, I'm going to run a profitable yeah. business or you're going to lose money in SaaS for like one, two years. I will lose money up to here and this is my turnaround point. And then from there, it's going to be profitable. But I also see a lot of founders that didn't realize the change, to be honest. Really? I see a lot of founders acting like, oh, we're going to do another round in six months. And I'm like, what if you don't? No, we will. (laughs) What if you don't? And so because the change was so quick. Yes, it was. That some people didn't didn't swap the mindset. So I think there's... There's still a lot of people that, like you say, think it's going to go back to normal. Yeah, even to this moment right now, because if you look at the data, it really hit hard in early 2022 for companies in terms of cut in valuations, hard to exit, you know, harder to get money. So we're a good year and a half into this, and you still see founders that say, oh, don't worry, everything's good. Interesting. Everything's fine. Yes, I still do. Okay. I still do see founders yeah. that that, that, that that's fascinating. Um, they might be disappointed here in the next six to twelve months. I don't know. We'll see how it. How it but I think that's a unique opportunity too for companies that are profitable yeah. at this point because most companies they had so many people that were not even working on anything. And like a company that has seven thousand employees and doesn't need all those employees to serve their customers. Like maybe they could do with 700 people. And so all those companies have to downsize. Twitter? and they have to no. make very, very, very hard decisions. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I just had to just throw that out there. Anyway. <laughs> That's one yeah. of them, right? And so I believe the companies that have been lean and nimble, they're going to have an advantage because it's very hard. Like if you go back to Twitter, like, to make the decisions that Elon Musk did and like you can see how like the backlash. So I still see a lot of big bloated companies that haven't made enough of a cut, even without the layoffs, to be nimble enough to compete in the space. That yeah. So I, yeah, I think there's still some more, you know, pain to come there, if you will, to get these business models optimized. But an interesting thing that you made the comment there, you know, there are a lot of profitable SaaS businesses, profitable ARR, recurring revenue businesses out there. And, and I think they will fare very well, to your point, because there still are investors that are looking for that, right? There is a lot of dry mm-hmm. powder out there. There's firms looking to invest in a good, solid, recurring, growing business model. So mm-hmm. if you're already sitting on that profile, I think you are in good shape. Now, back to this bootstrapping versus VC, because I've heard you interview both types of founders, right? People that took investment, people that really did it on their own. And from your perspective, when you're working with these founders, you know, what are the pros and cons of each approach? And, you know, you know, what's your best case scenario? Like if you're starting your next new SaaS company, do you, you know, like to look for investment or do you feel there's more strength in bootstrapping? I think there's not like one solution fits all. There's not right mm-hmm. or wrong. There's a lot about the skills of the entrepreneurs, what you're going to be building. And so I haven't seen where VC money worked mm-hmm. very well. I have seen where bootstrap money yeah. worked very well. But 
the thing that I see all the time with companies that raise money, it's easier to waste their money. I have, and even if the people that we interview in my podcast are like, hey, we raised Series A and we spent $20 million going the wrong direction. When we realize we're going to run out of money, we figure out and then we made it work. So that's the thing. Like when you have more money, you have to be a little bit better about trying to use the money well because you don't have the limitation that smaller um, bootstrap companies have. Like my whole thesis with my own SaaS, I'm the only SaaS in the space that didn't raise any money. And I believe I can be more efficient. I believe I'm not going to need to lay people off and that we can think about our customer first than our investors. Another thing that people don't realize, like from building a company, am I building a $10 million company or a $100 million company? If I'm building a $10 million company, you better don't raise money. Yeah. yeah. Because, because if you do, they're going to put you all the wrong pressures yeah, on you. That's right. Yeah. So like I would look at my idea and am I building a $100 million company? And for me personally, I don't want to build a company that big. I, I'm, I'm happy building a few $10 million companies. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, maybe. That would change. It's funny because I'm going podcasts and stuff and I have my SaaS in Doctor investors are coming to me. Hey, I want to give you money. I, please let, let me write you a $2 million check. And I'm like, yeah, but is this an $100 million SaaS? Because that's the only way that makes sense for me to take your $2 million bucks. So, I mean, your point, I mean, what the market opportunity is, right, really mm-hmm. determines, you know, again, if it's a smaller opportunity, I can probably bootstrap. If it's a massive $100 million or more market opportunity, I'm probably going to look for funding. My perspective on the VCs, you know, the goodness of that model is they can invest in higher risk things. They can help create businesses that were never there, that nobody else would take that risk. I think that there's a lot of wonderful companies that would have never been created if it wasn't for venture capital being available, right? That That is yeah. the power of that model. I think the downside of the model is what you described though also is if the money is free-flowing and there's a lot of it, then it can basically dissipate discipline, right? You, you're not as, you know, being as careful and the model starts to become, I'm just looking for that, what we call the greater fool theory of investing. I'm just looking for somebody to sell this company to. It doesn't matter if it's a solid mm-hmm. company, it doesn't matter if it's ever going to be profitable. As long as I can convince somebody else to buy it, that's all I care about. And I think that's the downside of them. And, and one thing that I have seen founders do that I believe align, because VCs and founders, many times they're disaligned because VCs are too rich and yeah. founders are too poor. And so VC wants to make a bunch yeah. of money because they're very rich and the founder is very poor and then anything is going to change their life. So one, one thing that I have to see over and over again on my podcast is a founder that yeah. sold for a private equity, yeah. had a small exit, yeah. is already rich. And now he raised money from a VC. Yeah. And now you're aligned because now okay, you're yeah. both going to build this yeah. huge thing. You're like both guarantee. So that's another thing. Like I, I don't think yeah. VC is bad, but I think founders fail to get aligned with VCs and they fail yes. to understand. They understand that this guy, the VCs are raising money from a bunch of institutions. They yeah. have a bunch more money than you. Can you align? Because like they're not going to want you to yeah, sell for a hundred yeah. million dollars. Sorry. <laughs> I know that will change your life. That's going to show how they yeah. lost a bunch of money because you better be a billion dollars company. And so I think the route that you choose is about alignment. It's about how big the opportunity is, but there's no bad route. And like you say, for sure, there's amazing products that got out there because of VC, but it's also look at the founder and, and who they were and how they align. And, and many, I, I like to say that's not a poor people's game. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great statement. Yeah, 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 you're right. It's not a poor people's game. Yeah, that's a great statement. Well, I, I want to I shift back to AI here. And I have two questions related to AI. And the first one 
is around, again, AI is just dominating the press and, and it seems to be sucking all the air out of the room in terms of, of investment. So again, you're advising a, a new software startup. Do you feel they have to have an AI story right now, something around AI? Is that sort of table stakes or what's your perspective on this? I think you go back to our early conversation, like what are you trying to do? Are you trying to raise money? Are you trying yeah. to build a huge company? Because if you're trying to raise money, that's where the money is going right now. Everyone wants to hear about AI. And I see all the time startups that just put like a sprinkle of AI to make it look cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm seeing a lot of that you as know. well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I honestly don't think that's all necessary. I think that's a fade. That's always a hype. I think we have to start to understand how internet works. The way the internet works, everything is it's clickbait. Everything has to be extrapolated bigger than it is. And the AI is the hot new thing, but another 12 months is going to be another hot new thing. So I try not to chase yeah. things like that. And I think it's a mistake. I think you have to look at it. Is there a, a real application to the problem I'm trying to solve? Or can I solve this problem in a better way without yeah. AI? And AI is not mm -hmm. as mature as we think it is. Uh, you know, I haven't played a lot with AI. The level of maturity, it's 10 times less than what the level of coverage yeah. it is. The gap. Uh, of what, what people believe AI can do. Yeah, sort of that, that yeah. hype gap. Yeah, I mean, I just make a, a comment here. It's interesting. Even technology companies that we've been working with for years, right? Companies have been around for a while. I was out talking to one of our member companies earlier this week and before I went out to their websites just to see how they're talking about themselves. And it's just like, they're an AI company. There's all this AI stuff over it. I'm thinking, these guys can barely spell AI. I can't believe this is all over their website. So like everybody's trying to you know position that way. It's, it's really yeah. pretty amazing. But I have a second question on AI because, and I'm not the expert here and you're so much closer to it, but I hear this in other podcasts I listen to, articles I read about how they're predicting that AI is going to change the way we develop software and how many people you need if you're doing a software startup because AI is an enabler there. What, what are you seeing there in terms of AI as a tool to, even if you're doing you know, a traditional enterprise software product, is AI, do you think going to be a game changer in terms of being able to, to be more productive to be able to have, you know, in a sense, you know, less programmers, less technical staff because you're leveraging AI tools. What are your thoughts there? It's very powerful. I have been using mm -hmm. GitHub Copilot, which is a tool that developers can use and that gives you like a lot of suggestions and, and kind of like, but like I say, it's it's just a better autocomplete and the developers still need to know, is this good mm -hmm. code? Is this bad code? But I believe making that transition to make software simpler to build, it's going to keep happening, not only because of AI alone, but because of the budgets mm -hmm. of how people build software. Going back to our initial conversation, like there's this thing of microservices and, and how Netflix have hundreds of developers mm -hmm. to build this one product yeah. in small little teams. But most of the times you don't need that. I do see like a transition back to simplifying and to make software quicker yeah. and easier to build again. I believe AI is, is a mm -hmm. powerful tool there, but it is what okay. it is. It is a tool. The person using the tool have to know if that's good. And like they have to look at the code and say, okay, this is good code. This is bad code. Let me think. The AI is yeah. not doing any of the yeah. thinking yet. It is just like helping you move quicker, but it doesn't yeah. do any of the thinking. And I don't see yeah. replacing developers. So, but you, I mean, do you see potential to augment developers to basically help them be more productive? You, you do see the, the potential there. Oh, yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. I like this example. Like, think about farming. Years ago, you need a bunch of people to farm. Now you have this one machine, this, this one person drop in, and then he farms the whole thing. 
And I think that's where we're going to be going for sure with software development. There's a lot of things that's going to be obsolete and we're going to yeah. be able to do more with less. But it's good because look at how long we have been saying that developers. we don't have enough developers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it is definitely going to work as a, a tool to, to simplify and to make it one developer be able to do the work of two or three. Well, you know, as I listen to you, I'm actually thinking about a podcast that I just listened to this morning. It's from the New York Times Daily Podcast. It's a great little listen, and it talks about AI in college. So ChatGBT has been out for a while now, and you now mm-hmm. have this first generation. They interviewed students, you know, seniors, juniors, sophomores, that how are you using chat GBT as a student. And they also were interviewing professors, right? So the mm-hmm. entire world of academia <laughs> is now navigating, what does it mean for my students to have access to this? And students are learning like, this is where it makes sense to use it. This is where I don't want to use it. This is where it's helpful. Here's where it's basically not helping me because it's not allowing me to think. So they're really all navigating. But you know, when I listen to that thing, there's no doubt, it's going to be a powerful tool for students at the end of the day. It really is. And what I'm hearing mm-hmm. from you, that's the same journey developers are on. There's this new tool. Mm-hmm. Everybody's learning, you know, how, where does it make sense? Like you said, they still have to know if it's good code, bad code. It's not going to do, quote, the thinking for you, but it is going to be a powerful augmentation. So I think that like all of us in our different professions, researchers included, we're all learning, you know, what this thing means to us. So I think, I think it's, you know, interesting and fascinating times to say the, say the least. But um, all right, let's move off of AI. The final question I had for you I stumbled on this article that you published back in 2019, and it was titled, Why Adding SaaS is Essential to Scaling Your Service Business. And this is a story of service companies building SaaS applications to scale, right? So they're, they're basically, it could be a professional services firm or whatever, and then they realize, hey, I could codify some of my expertise, I can make an application. So I'm curious, do you see a trend, and maybe even some of the founders you work with, right, we're more consulting service companies codify their expertise into software and they end up looking more like a like a SaaS company. What do you see in there? I'll say at least 50% of everyone that we work with in my company, it is a version of that. Really? Yeah. It was like, and sometimes it might not be a service company directly. I was running a retail e-commerce store and I realized how hard it was to manage inventory. Mm-hmm. And then I, I made my own internal tools, but I realized I could sell that for every single person that's running a similar e-commerce like mine. Mm-hmm. But a lot of service business too. I thought about how this one specific thing that we do here mm-hmm. and we allow other companies in the same space. And I think that's amazing because we have the industry expert mm-hmm. building something for that industry yeah. uh, and you have the funding to to pay for because service companies are very, very profitable, but not very, very scalable. Right. And then so you can you can kind of like get the best of a service company, which is the profitability, and put into a model that's gonna allow it to really scale. That's the same model I'm doing with my own company. Yeah. So Dev Stats is a tool to allow you to build high-performing development teams. Yeah. So that's what I sell my customers. I sell them, hey, I'm gonna give you a development team that's high performing. What my SaaS product does is like, hey, I'll help you build your own high-performing team using the same tools and the same knowledge. And I'm like, this is how you're going to do your own one-to-ones with your developers. This is why you're going to look. This is why you're going to check. So that's kind of like the same model that I'm applying for my own product. And that allows me to get the profit from this company and put it here and build something that's scalable. And that's going to also be worth more money. Now, this is a big risk too. I see sometimes founders that start to do that and they like move away from the service a little bit. And, but you look at a lot of successful companies like Basecamp, mm-hmm. 
uh, it, it start as, as a development company. Yeah. And I think I had like at least five or six people that I interviewed in my podcast that was kind of like did the same journey. Yeah. So I, I think that's a, a good path for, for, for service companies to do and to scale and to also... Even after the recession, SaaS companies sells for a lot more than service companies sells for. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, Multipliers, you much know, better, yeah. The multiplier, yeah. the multiplier is much, much better. Yeah. So, so I still believe it's a good investment. And, and I see, I mean, that's half of all of one that we work with uh, because uh, they have the money, but they don't have the time. Yeah. But they have the expertise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they ha- they have the industry knowledge to to create that product. I still believe that's valid today, and even more than before because those are probably the people that are going to have the funds to build products in this economy where investors are not giving you money. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's fascinating. The reason I wanted to to um, to poke on that a little bit, so just recently we dropped an episode with the chief customer officer from EY, right, which used to be Ernst Young, you know, traditional accounting consulting firm, right? But they now have SaaS products, which they've, what are they? They are software that they've developed to deliver their accounting services, but then they start to codify it. And then they start to realize, well, we can sell this as software. And so this question, I mean, and clearly they're on a journey where they're going to be on a model when they are providing accounting services, it's not brain on a stick. It's going to be this blend of their own technology, right? Like a SaaS platform mm-hmm. surrounded by the accounting experts. And so I think all service companies ultimately are on that journey, right? It's not mm-hmm. no longer just brain on a stick, you know, expertise, but it is going to be this blend of technology and services. And I think that the, the service companies that figure that out first, and like you're saying, you know, get that balance right between I'm not saying I'm completely a product company, but if I can get this balance right, I can scale better. I can find even more profitability. And it's a beautiful thing, but it starts to blur the lines. Yeah. And you can even serve like a portion of the market that you're not able to serve. Like yeah, you're working on this tail. this one SaaS right now, and they help companies get secure certifications. So they go and bring like a consultant, and they go to all the steps, like all the checks of everything, whatever. Uh, and that's very expensive, and they work with very big companies because they give you the consultant and everything. But they are turning everything that they used to do there, like the spreadsheets and everything, into a SaaS. Yeah. And now people, smaller companies, can go and do it by themselves. Yeah. And it's kind of like the opposite too, because if you look at like big enterprise SaaS, like look at Salesforce, look at HubSpot, what do they have? They had to create a network of partners Mm -hmm. to serve their customers, to provide a service and provide implementation. So I I think it's, you can do both ways. You can build a SaaS and then you can build implementation team or build a partner network or you build a service and then you build a SaaS. It's just like swapping the logic, but Building a service first is going to allow you to have the money to invest in SaaS. Well, I mentioned this on a previous episode here, but in the first book I ever wrote, I talked about what was called the product services wheel. And basically the, the punchline is product companies over time add more and more services. So they start to look a little bit more like you know a service company. They're not services, but they add services. Service companies want to codify their knowledge and they, start, they want to start to stand up products, right? So like you said, it's this wheel, right? The service mm-hmm. goes more toward product, product goes toward more services. And I think that the winning model is right in between, right? It's that nice blend. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think products without any services, typically not as successful <laughs> in adoption, mm-hmm. right? In, in, in market adoption and in, in customer success. And, and then again, you know, services, we're not codifying some of your expertise, putting that into software harder to scale. So I think the winning model is somewhere in between there for sure. And it's so easy for service providers to build a SaaS because they already have the user base to test. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I will build it. We're going to use it in-house. I hear all the time, if I'm not able to sell this as a product, 
I made already my process so much better and I made my company so much more valuable mm -hmm. just of like taking out my ideas and put into a process yep. and put into a software. And even if it's only an internal tool, yes. it's going to be worth a lot of money. We even have customers that don't want anyone to have a SaaS. They build as an internal tool yep. as a, their own IP. And that's why like, it's their unfair advantage yeah. uh, against everyone that's just trying to mix a bunch of products together yep. or like doing spreadsheets or doing whatever. Yep. So that's another way to, to use yeah, absolutely. a product. Yep, absolutely. Well, hey, I, I really appreciate you stopping by today and giving us a different lens, a different perspective on what's going on out there in the marketplace and the current environment. And I always like to close these podcasts with a question of the day. And I'll say that founding a successful SaaS company was never easy, but it clearly just got harder starting in 2022. So the question of the day is, are you ready to build a profitable SaaS company? Cheers. Cheers.